Nehemiah chapter 6. Would you turn there with me, please? Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll be looking there in just a few moments. Thank you, Calvary Quartet. Brother Jeff, they really give you a hard time, don't they? Sounds to me like you need a lawyer. And uh, I, I know one, and he does what he does free of charge as a ministry. And so this is perfect. So I'll get him on the phone after the service tonight. Speaking of lawyers, um, attorney David Gibbs Jr. Uh, is the founder and president of Christian Law Association. He founded CLA 54 years ago, back when Calvary Baptist Church was starting. And uh, Brother Gibbs was really, really looking forward to being here today with the Bouchers and with this church family. And he's missing being here, and he loves the Bouchers, and he loves Calvary Baptist Church. And on behalf of Attorney Gibbs, thank you so much for your kindness, for your faithful prayers and support of CLA. We're very, very grateful for that. Pastor Boucher, thank you for your kindness to me. And um, thank you, Pastor and Mrs. Boucher, for your faithfulness here at CBC and the staff. And thank you for your faithfulness here. And here you are on a Sunday night right here in your place. And I thank you for that. Good for you. And well done for 54 years. Very pleased to see um, our mutual friend, Pastor Irvin Burke, tonight. Um, I would imagine he is here to hear Brother Gibbs, not Steve Kluth. But <laughs> Brother Burke is a longtime friend of uh, Brother Gibbs and CLA and of mine as well. Uh, we go way, way back to the Lunenburg, Massachusetts days. And now I think we last saw you and Mrs. Burke just a couple of years ago in the Sarasota area. And I want you to know that uh, Attorney Gibbs and Mrs. Gibbs and uh, your friends at CLA have been praying for you during this time. And we do love you very, very much, Brother Burke. Nick Walenda is a seventh generation tightrope walker, a high wire walker. You may recognize the name of his family, the Flying Walendas. They were circus performers. As a matter of fact, I think there's a pretty strong connection, if I'm not mistaken, between the Walenda family and Sarasota just to our, our north. Now, as you probably know, walking a tightrope or a high wire is a very dangerous occupation. I mean, Nick Walenda's own great-grandfather died doing it. 1978, San Juan, Puerto Rico, he was 73 years of age. Thus far, amazingly, Nick Walenda's own, uh, Nick Walenda, rather, has survived his many death-defying stunts, stunts that include a walk across the Grand Canyon on a high wire a walk across Times Square in New York City on a high wire, 25 stories up in the air, a walk between two towers in Chicago, blindfolded. Plus, he is hung by his jaw from a helicopter 280 feet in the air. And not too long ago, he walked across an active volcano in Nicaragua on a thin steel cable. He was a little over 2,000 feet above the volcano's crater, a crater, by the way, which is known as the Mouth of Hell. 
It took just 31 minutes for Nick Walenda to walk 1,800 feet over a hot, bubbling lake of lava. He wore goggles, a mask, and a respirator to protect himself from the noxious volcanic gases, gases so thick that at times he could only see 10 feet in front of him. But Nick Walenda may be best known for his walk across Niagara Falls. The year was 2012, and I have to tell you, just getting permission to attempt it wasn't easy. For starters, Nick Walenda had to receive special permission from two countries, the United States and Canada, due to their laws which banned stunts at Niagara Falls. Furthermore, he had to deal with Homeland Security and several rather unfriendly environmental groups. Plus, when his 1,500-foot walk between the United States and Canada was complete, Nick Walenda was met by a customs agent <laughs> who had one question, a question that you have probably been asked if you have ever crossed a border. Mr. Walenda, what was the purpose of your trip? <laughs> he replied, to inspire people around the world. Next, he was questioned by the media, and a reporter asked Nick Walenda this question. He said, what was the toughest part of your walk across Niagara Falls? And his answer was not what the reporter was expecting. The toughest part was not the raging winds which caused the wire to swing 10 to 12 inches from side to side while bobbing up and down. The toughest part was not the heavy mist from Niagara Falls which continuously slapped him in the face impeding his vision and it wasn't having to look down at the turbulent tempestuous falls hundreds and hundreds of feet below. Nick Walenda said the toughest part of the walk was there was nowhere to Focus. And he added, the key to tightrope walking is not getting distracted. I think it would be safe to say that you and I deal with more distractions in the year 2023 than people have ever had to deal with. Now, granted, there have always been distractions, always. I mean, even in the Garden of Eden, it seems to me the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil proved to be a pretty big distraction for Adam and Eve, wouldn't you agree? But the number of distractions today is kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. We live in an age of distraction, unprecedented distraction. Actually, the truth is this is probably the single most distracting thing ever invented, uh, the cell phone. If you can come up with something more distracting than this, I would be interested to hear about it. In a book entitled 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, the author says that the average person checks his cell phone 81,500 times a year. 
some math genius figured out that that's once every four minutes, which means that some of you will probably check your cell phone about eight times while I preach this message tonight. Distractions. I studied the word distraction, Pastor Boucher, as I was preparing the message And I found that there was a form of torture back in the Middle Ages where they would literally tie a man's arms and legs to four horses and then they would turn the four horses loose. Interestingly enough, that form of torture was known as distraction which is a perfect picture, I think, of what you and I may very well be experiencing. Many of us are being pulled apart by distractions. Distractions, they take our attention away from what we're supposed to be doing. But then sometimes distractions take our attention away from what God has called us to do. Distractions. They get our minds off of the important stuff on things that matter very little or really things that don't matter at all. And mark it down tonight, ladies and gentlemen and young people, every minute that you and I are distracted is a minute that we will never get back. So it's no wonder, it's no wonder that distractions are one of Satan's favorite tactics to keep us from doing what we should be doing, to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. I would like to invite you to go with me tonight to the book of Nehemiah, please, where we are introduced to a man who absolutely refused to be distracted. He just wouldn't do it. Nehemiah chapter 6, please, beginning at verse 1. Scripture says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. And then verse 15, please. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 50 and 2 days. And this evening, I would like to discuss with you for the next few minutes a distraction that Nehemiah chapter 6 identifies as, oh no. And tonight, Pastor Boucher, this is my challenge to a church family that is celebrating 54 years today. And Father, I, I thank you for your word. 
And I thank you for the privilege that I have tonight to preach here at Calvary Baptist Church. I too pray for Brother Gibbs as he recovers. And um, I thank you for the privilege that you've given to my wife, Karen, and to me to be able to serve with Dr. and Mrs. Gibbs and a wonderful staff of legal missionaries at CLA for these 25 years. Now tonight, Lord, um, I pray that you'll speak first and foremost to my heart. Uh, Help me, Lord, to determine tonight not to be distracted from what you've called me to do and then help these, my friends, to make the same decision, I pray. Lord, we all know that there have been churches across the land that have been distracted and where the main thing is no longer the main thing. And I pray, Father, that that would never be the case here at Calvary Baptist. I thank you, Lord, for what you've accomplished today already, for souls that have been saved, for how you've touched our hearts today. And we pray that you'll do more of that tonight in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. His name was Nehemiah, facing enormous opposition and really with lots and lots of people rooting for him to fail, Nehemiah and his crew built a wall that was 12 feet high, 10 feet thick, and two and a half miles long, and they did it in, are you ready for this, 52 days, less than two months. Now that's really incredible, especially when you take into consideration that they built this wall 2,500 years ago without all of the construction tools and modern equipment that builders have at their disposal today. It's a fascinating story that happened in Jerusalem. According to the scripture, the once magnificent massive walls of Jerusalem were now just a A pile of rubble, rubbish is the word used in the scripture in Nehemiah chapter 4. The walls of Jerusalem had been demolished, uh, leveled by the enemy. Now, walls around a city may not seem like a big deal to us in Englewood, Florida today, but back then, walls around a city were very significant for this reason. A city was not safe without walls. The walls around a city were what kept the marauders, the robbers, the bandits, the criminals, the outlaws out of the city. Walls were a city's first line of defense. Without walls, a city was unprotected. Without walls, a city was very, very vulnerable to attack by the enemy. So walls were extremely, extremely important. So here comes Nehemiah. A building contractor? No. An experienced wall builder? No. Nehemiah wasn't a wall builder at all. Nehemiah was a cup bearer. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah was King Artaxerxes' personal cup bearer. You say, Steve, what in the world is a cup bearer? Well, every time the king would sit down to a meal, it was the responsibility of the cup 
cupbearer to taste the beverage in the king's cup before the king took a sip because, because kings had enemies. And sometimes those enemies would poison the king's beverage. As a matter of fact, assassinations by Poisoning were rather common in that day. And so if the beverage had been poisoned, it was the cup bearer that would die rather than the king. And that's what Nehemiah was, a cup bearer for the king. It wasn't a difficult job. It wasn't what you and I would consider a real demanding job. I mean, while there was definitely some risk involved, Nehemiah had it pretty much made in the shade. It was a job with influence and affluence, a lucrative job. Nehemiah was living in what we probably would call the lap of luxury. But then Nehemiah hears disturbing news. Alarming news, news about what's happening in Jerusalem. He is told that the walls of the city are in ruins. The gates have been burned. And the scripture says that when Nehemiah heard this, he sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. He was deeply grieved. And he couldn't just stand idly by and ignore their plight. So the Lord lays a burden on Nehemiah's heart to go to Jerusalem to do something about it. To go to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. So, with the king's blessing, off to Jerusalem he goes, which was not an easy trip, by the way, not easy at all. From where Nehemiah was in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, it was a 900-mile trip to Jerusalem, and there were no flights, no Amtrak trains, no interstate highways, no Uber. It took Nehemiah between two and three months to make that trip. But he was determined to do it because because it's what the Lord wanted him to do. Now, this was going to be a huge undertaking, a monumental task, back-breaking work. Furthermore, very dangerous with enemies lurking around the city. But Nehemiah knows that God wants him to leave what was probably the cushiest job ever as the king's cupbearer to go rebuild those walls in Jerusalem. Are you listening? Nehemiah was a guy that left his comfort zone when God called. Maybe a a bit like the Bradley family. Maybe like some of our friends from Samaritan Purse who have come from all over the country to volunteer their help on the west coast of Florida to do things that maybe they didn't just feel real comfortable about doing, but they just wanted to be a help, and they left their comfort zone, and they came to do it, didn't they, Pastor? May I ask a personal question tonight? 
Would you be willing to do that if God called? Would I? Now, at this point, you're polite enough not to say this out loud, but you may be thinking it, Steve, what in the world does this have to do with me? How does this man, Nehemiah, rebuilding walls 2,500 years ago apply to me and to us in the year 2023? All right, here you go. Don't miss it, please. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do not, do not get distracted. Stay focused on whatever it is that he has called you to do. My high school baseball coach used to put it like this. He used to say, keep your eye on the ball. It was New York Yankee uh, catcher Yogi Berra that was well known for doing his best to distract the opposition when they were standing in the batter's box to get them to take their eye off the ball. Now, this was the same Yogi Berra who was also well known for the things he said. He's the guy who said, it ain't over till it's over. Once when he was ordering a pizza, he was asked if he wanted the pizza to be cut into 12 slices. He said, no, cut it into eight. I can't eat 12 right now. (laughs) Yogi Berra also said, always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. (laughs) And he also said, I never said most of the things I said. So it was the late Henry Aaron that was up to bat for the Milwaukee Braves. I was born and raised in Wisconsin, and I know, and I'm old enough to know, that before the Braves became the Atlanta Braves, they were the Milwaukee Braves. And from time to time, our family would make the three-and-a-half-hour drive uh, from La Crosse, Wisconsin, to Milwaukee to go to County Stadium to see Hank Aaron and his teammates play ball. And Hank Aaron was up to bat. Yogi Berra was behind the plate catching. Yogi was known for his ceaseless chatter, which he used not only to encourage his own teammates, but also to, and especially to distract, to rattle the batters. Henry Aaron stepped into the batter's box. Yogi said, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so that you can see the trademark on the bat. Henry Aaron didn't say a thing. He responded by blasting the next pitch for a long home run in the left field bleachers. He rounded the bases, and when he arrived at home plate, Henry Aaron looked at Yogi Berra and said, Yogi, I didn't come up here to read. (laughs) Henry Aaron was focused, kept his eye on the ball. He refused to be distracted. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 1. The scripture says, now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian. Now let me pause just long enough to explain to you that these were not nice men, not at all. Sanballat and his two accomplices, Tobiah and Geshem, were three shady, shifty characters. I mean, Just in the first 
five chapters of the book of Nehemiah, this threesome had already done their best to put a stop to the rebuilding of this wall. They didn't want the wall to be rebuilt. They had viciously opposed it. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, there is no shortage of Sanballat's, Tobias, and Geshem's in the world today. And the truth is, the Sanballat's, Tobias, and Geshem's have infiltrated many of our churches. They are the opposition. That's what they do. They oppose. Furthermore, they intimidate. They discourage. They dispute. They debate, they sow discord, and they cause lots and lots of confusion. Great preacher from the past said, when the people of God have a mind to work, the opposition has a mind to wreck. And I think he was right. Well, as we come to Nehemiah chapter 6, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem have not yet succeeded in stopping the building of this wall, but they haven't given up either. And actually, according to the scripture, it's not just Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Verse 1, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies. Now, we don't know who the rest of our enemies were. They're not identified. We just know, please don't miss this, we just know that when something great is being accomplished for the Lord, you can count on the fact that there will always be no shortage of opposition. Nehemiah said, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time, I had not set up the doors upon the gates. According to the scripture, the rebuilding of this wall was almost complete. Almost because, according to verse 1, the doors hadn't been hung yet. The scripture says, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. I mean, this would be like you building a new house, but the front door hasn't been installed. Everybody knows that you've got to have a door, otherwise you don't have security. So this was the last possible moment for Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem to put a stop to this project, and they knew that. They knew that this was their last chance. They knew that it was now or never. Which brings us to the distraction. Oh, no. Verse 2, Nehemiah speaking that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Come, let us meet together. They attempt to entice Nehemiah to stop the work and to come down from that wall. They do their best to lure him away from what God has called him to do. Come on, Nehemiah. 
why don't you just take some time off? I mean, you've been working on this wall night and day, and it's, it's that close to being finished. You deserve a break. You deserve some R&R, some rest and relaxation. Now, everybody knows we've had our disagreements in the past, but that's in the past. It's time for us to engage in some constructive dialogue. Let's meet together. Let's meet together implies that this was going to be a cordial meeting, an amicable meeting, a friendly meeting, maybe even an opportunity for reconciliation to settle their differences, to bury the hatchet, and maybe, just maybe, to sign a truce at Ono. Now, I should take a moment to tell you about Ono. Ono was an oasis. It was a resort located on the seacoast about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Their invitation to come to Ono seemed innocent enough. I mean, they just wanted to talk, sort of a peace summit. And the truth is, Nehemiah could go there to Ono to meet with them and then be back in the, on the wall in a couple of days to hang those doors and to finish the job. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, thankfully, Nehemiah has discernment. Discernment is a God-given ability that allows us to read between the lines. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He read between the lines. Verse 2, Nehemiah said, But they thought to do me mischief. Nehemiah recognized that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were up to no good. I'll tell you exactly what they were attempting to do. They were attempting to distract Nehemiah from installing those doors so that the wall would remain unfinished, so that the city would be defenseless against attack. And notice, they don't just try to persuade Nehemiah to come down from the wall and to come to Ono one time. Verse 4, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. Come, let us meet together. Nehemiah said, no. Come, let us meet together. Nehemiah said, no. Come, let us meet together. Nehemiah said, no. And then a fourth time, they said, come on, come and enjoy an all-expense-paid trip to this oasis called Ono. Come on, let's meet. Let's talk. But again, Nehemiah says, no. By the way, ladies and gentlemen and young people, Ono means grief. You're a wise man, Nehemiah. Don't go there. Nehemiah knew that God had not called him to dialogue. God had called him to rebuild 
a wall. Friendly advice, always say no to oh no. You know, I'm pretty good at saying no the first time, Pastor Boucher. But I don't know if you can relate to this or not. Sometimes I get worn down by multiple requests. Can you relate? We have four grandchildren who Karen and I love very, very much. Ella, Emma, Claire, and Austin. Papa, can I have a cookie? No, too close to supper time. You'll ruin your appetite. Papa, just one cookie, please. No, you're going to have to wait. But Papa, I, I love you, and I really need a cookie. Well, okay, but just one cookie. <laughs> Nehemiah knew exactly what these men were trying to do. They're trying to get me to come down from the wall. They're trying to keep me from installing the doors. They're trying to keep me from finishing the job. They're trying to distract me. Now, that's exactly what the enemy, the devil, will do his dead level best to do in your life and in mine. And by the way, that's exactly what the enemy would like to do at Calvary Baptist Church in Englewood, Florida, and Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches like it all across the land. You can count on it. He will do his best to distract us, to get away from what God has called us to do. He will do his best to get us to a place where the main thing is no longer the main thing. And I thank the Lord on this uh, February Sunday evening that the main thing is the main thing here. We saw that again this morning, didn't we? And that's wonderful. But we have an enemy that would like to distract. That's one of his specialties. Verse 3, this was Nehemiah's RSVP. This was Nehemiah's response to their invitation to come down from the wall to meet at Ono. Would he accept the invitation or would he decline the invitation? Well, Nehemiah doesn't leave us in suspense, does he? Verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Watch this. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah's response was brief, blunt, And to the point, I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down from this wall. I'm going to hang those doors. I'm going to finish the job. Nehemiah said no to oh no. In Calvary Baptist Church of Englewood, may I as a guest tonight encourage you 
to stay focused on what the Lord has called you to do right here in Englewood, Florida. Do not get distracted. Do not get sidetracked. You know, I think, Pastor Boucher, I heard this first as a Bible college freshman back in 1974, and I've never forgotten it. I haven't always lived it, but I've never forgotten it. Plan your work, work your plan, and whatever you do, do not get sidetracked. Mr. Walenda, what was the toughest part of your walk across Niagara Falls? Was it the raging winds? No. Was it the heavy mist from the falls slapping you in the face? No. Well, then, it had to be the turbulent, tempestuous falls hundreds of feet below you. That's what it was, right? No, it wasn't that at all. The toughest part of the walk was there was nowhere to focus. And when you're walking a tightrope, you cannot afford to be distracted. Well, Calvary Baptist Church family and our guest tonight, this is the Lord's work. We cannot afford to be distracted. You're doing a great work, Nehemiah. You're doing a great work, Pastor and Mrs. Boucher. You're doing a great work, ministry staff. You're doing a great work, all of you who serve so faithfully in this ministry. I've watched you today do that. May I encourage you to stay focused. Keep your eye on the ball. Do not get sidetracked. Whatever you do, do not get distracted. And don't you even think of coming down from that wall. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you stand to your feet tonight with me, please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As pastor comes, may I ask this question this evening? Perhaps you're in the Sunday evening service and all day long since you heard pastor preach that message from John 3.16 and you watched others respond, all day long you've been under strong conviction. That conviction is from the Holy Spirit of God. And tonight you may be a church member here or you may be a guest, but you know for certain that you're not saved. And if you were to die tonight, you know that you would not go to heaven you would spend eternity separated from God in a real, literal hell. And while this has not been a salvation message tonight, tonight would be a perfect time for you to respond and to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And my prayer is that you would do that tonight. But then there are others of us that are saved. And I thank the Lord for that. I'm certainly glad to be saved tonight. And... What we've heard tonight, the Holy Spirit has convicted 
us and challenged us. And perhaps you're an individual that needs to find your way to a, a place here at this old-fashioned altar as the invitation is given tonight. And perhaps tonight you need to do business here with the Lord and say, Lord, help me not to be distracted. And Lord, help our church family not to be distracted. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, just like it has been for 54 years. Maybe that's your prayer tonight. I would encourage you to respond. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor, would you come, please?